This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mongoose. Mongoose is dedicated to being a bridge for higher education between schools and constituents. With a focus on conversational marketing software, Mongoose takes great pride in offering both the knowledge and the tools to help higher ed engage, motivate, and grow individuals and communities. They've got two exceptional products that help folks do just that. The first one is Cadence, higher education's premier texting platform. Mongoose Cadence allows staff to efficiently reach students in their preferred daily communication channel, which is texting. Whether sending a message to a single student or a large list, the platform facilitates timely, meaningful conversations that inspire action. Harmony. Mongoose Harmony is an intelligent chatbot that effortlessly guides visitors to the right content, captures lead information, and simultaneously updates any systems integrated with that chatbot, and routes visitors to the appropriate staff when a human is needed. Students and alumni visit a school's website because they want quick information. Conversational marketing through chatbots allows you to efficiently answer questions and keep constituents engaged at the peak of their interest in your institution. To learn more about Mongoose offerings, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash Enrollify. And fun fact, you'll be able to engage with a chatbot on that page. Again, it's mongooseresearch.com forward slash Enrollify. Welcome to Fanatical Fridays, a weekly podcast where I sit down with Mickey Baines, a principal at Kennedy & Company, which is a higher education consulting firm, to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. I'm Zach Cruz, founder here at Enrollify. Enjoy the show. Good morning and happy Friday, everyone. This is Mickey Baines with Fanatical Fridays. We do not have our wonderful co-host, Zach, with us today. He's taking time off. Who knows where he is? We've been following his travels all year long. Uh, But unlike when I'm absent and Zach carries on without me, I'm not able to do that. I don't have that talent. Uh, So I brought in a powerhouse co-host with me today, who's going to be asking me lots of questions uh, and ensuring that what we share today hits the mark. Jamie Gleason, first, Jamie, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you you for jumping in to co-host. For those who don't know, Jamie uh, and I co-host another Enrollify podcast, CR Improv, uh, which comes out every other week. This is one of our off weeks, is it? This is one of our off weeks. Yeah. Yes. Although I do think we will have uh, something that's coming to a theater near you. I do think we have a episode launching sometime very soon. That's right. Episode launching, but it's an off week for recording purposes, at least. Correct. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks so, for having me today, Mickey. Well, I'm excited you can step in and join. Um, and I've given you a little bit of information uh, about what we're doing. By the way, Jamie Gleason, any relation through to Jackie? Uh, I'm glad that you asked. I don't know the answer, but it is. I ha- I happen to use that on a certain generation of people when they ask me how to spell my name. I'm always like, oh, you know, my name is Jamie Gleason, kind of like Jackie. But I'm finding that it's harder and harder to use that these days because not everyone knows who Jackie Gleason is anymore. Which is a little disappointing, uh, knowing that that's still above my generation. But, you know, that's a generation ahead of me. We should we should know that. Maybe it's because it's two generations off. Yeah. Maybe we recognize the name if it's plus or minus one generation. 
I think that that's true. And that's a very interesting theory to, for us to think about. Uh, well, and I don't want to spend too much time on that because, you know, we're doing summer sessions. That's These right. are already intense conversations. Um, and in today's session, we're going to talk about working your pipeline, looking at high conversion moments uh, and how we can help students progress along the enrollment cycle. Jamie, I share with you a little bit about how the summer sessions work. I've got uh, a quote unquote mini lecture to deliver. It will be intense. It will be quick. Uh, and I hope you're taking notes. Uh, I'm I am ready for this. And I I can't wait to hear your tutelage. <laughs> well, let's hope it's let's hope it's strong enough to call it tutelage. Um, so. Well, so as we talk about pipeline, I'm going to say I've got this into three primary categories. Um, the first I'll call stage to stage. The second, I'm going to talk about specific conversion moments. And the third, I'll talk about targeting your audience on a daily and weekly basis. And that's how we have it broken up. So I'm going to jump in stage to stage. And what I what I mean is stage to stage is understanding your enrollment process. And, and I don't care what audience you're uh, responsible for recruitment, recruiting, uh, whether that's traditional, non-traditional, graduate, online, international, uh, workforce development, whatever it is, you should know your enrollment stages because you will have stages, whether or not they're defined, doesn't matter if they aren't, you need to define them. And if you're a director and you don't have stages, um, you must do that and, and as I referenced two weeks ago, if you don't, to me, that's their election of duty. Like you can't do this job today appropriately without that. That is a core and essential piece to doing what you do. If you have them and you don't hammer those in as part of your training for your staff and you're a director at that, you must do that. If you're not a director, if you are a coordinator, an admissions counselor, an assistant director, whatever it is, if you don't have them, establish them at least for yourself so that you know how to do the job. And this is why this is important, because when you're recruiting a student and you get a new person that's filled out a request for information form or someone you just met at a fair on the road, your job isn't to get them to enroll. Your job is to get them to the next stage. And the next stage, usually in a scenario like that, let's say I meet someone at a, uh, at, um, a, a school visit when I'm out on the road, I might want to get them to apply because it's October. I met them and we know we've got a December 1 deadline for applications and we have all this going on. I want to get them to apply, not to get them to enroll. And so understanding the stages knows what stage a student is in currently and what the next stage is so that you can help them and give them the information they need to move to the next stage. What we also know is if you take an inquiry and you start pushing them towards enrollment, they might move along, but they're not really buying in and getting engaged because as you move from stage to stage, your level of interest must grow and increase and become more and more invested and ready to enroll. If you push them along and they aren't ready, they may revert back or never enroll altogether. And so you start counting numbers and thinking that you have this class or a, a cohort at a certain size, but because you push someone along and didn't let them move along themselves, that cohort of 25 may only be a cohort of 18, and that's not good. So we really need to understand the stages and think about the entire process of helping a student move from stage to stage. 
Uh, and let's just break this down a little bit further because there are people who students that may on their own skip stages. And I think that's important to address. I know with non-traditional students or non-traditional programs and, and graduate programs, online programs, uh, e even with trad programs, we see what to, we, the term that we've labeled this as stealth applicants, because we see that. So someone may have skipped whatever your early stages of the enrollment process is, and you don't know anything about them until they fill out that application. And that can present some problems, a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that a stealth applicant may very, very well be have an interest level equivalent to that of an inquiry or less. And so in that scenario, you have to then understand that and build that interest level up. Because if you continue to push that stealth applicant along, you might be moving them and they're not ready to move. Their interest level isn't where it needs to be and they revert back or they drop out altogether. Mm -hmm. So if your plan involves converting a lot of stealth applicants, you need to think about understanding what the conversion rate is for a stealth applicant versus a applicant that started at the inquiry stage and moved their way there. And then you might think about ways to add in qualification steps and maybe amp up your touch points and your recruitment efforts for those stealth applicants so that you can build interest. So if they started as an applicant and haven't been receiving your inquiry communication plans and outreach, whether that involves texts, emails, physical mail, phone calls, whatever it is, you may think about separating out a stealth applicant and adding some of that in the mix. A, to ensure that the student really is interested and give them more information to make them feel more comfortable and confident as they progress through the process. You make a good point there, Mickey. I have one question. Uh, yes. How much, you know, so I think in, enrollment leaders typically think about kind of standard stages, if you will, you know, inquiry, applicant, enrolled, you know, maybe a admitted student. How much do you buy into like kind of the meso layers of stages? So I used to work at an institution where we we had what we called pre-inquiries and we had pre-applicants and things like that. How how detailed do you think an institution should be when it comes to developing stages in CRM? Yep. So so I have I, I have two ways we typically go about it depending upon the institution. Sometimes and I, I like to look at it as you know let's talk about what that sub stage is to determine is it really enough to have it as its own stage. So for a traditional program, deposited is a stage for sure. Um, but sometimes with some institutions, I might have a stage called um, engaged inquiry. Like, a, so I have a new inquiry. So I have, here's a person who's inquired, who's showing interest, but then I have another stage that's called engaged inquiry. Someone who's not applied, but is having conversation, who's clicking on emails or replying to texts or attending events, things like that. So they're engaged. So I know that that's different and I treat that person a little differently. And one of the reasons I may quote unquote treat them differently is as we're working with some schools, some schools will say, hey, we want to be actively calling and, and texting one-to-one -one with that particular student. Our staff have the resources. We have the time to do that. Uh, and others say, I don't. Well, uh, or they might be in the middle that says, we want to, but we can't just text or call everybody. And we need to figure out who that is. And so we build in measures to say, here's an engaged inquiry. That is a stage because once they get to this point, we activate that phone or text dialogue, that one-to-one -one connection dialogue. And so sometimes we'll do that. Sometimes we'll use another field 
in a CRM that would be like a sub-stage field. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you still have like an inquiry applicant deposit and roll, those types of primary stages that might be used for multiple departments within enrollment management that are in your CRM. And then I have sub-stages for a specific team, like a recruitment team or a financial aid team, so that they have their own little sub-stage within that um, primary stage, if that makes sense. Yep. That, and I use those. Well. And then if I'm using sub-stages, then I can get into a little more, even more granular level, because then I might look at, um, you know, here's this mini stage of someone who's attended one of our highest conversion points. So I, I had a client once when they looked at their data, what they saw was for traditional students, 85% of the students that came to campus for a campus tour enrolled, which I've never seen a number like that before. Now, we That's look to insane. ensure, are you actually documenting every student that, I mean, maybe you're not documenting all the students that come for campus tour. No, but it was that high. And so we had a mini stage for that team because we were driving students to get them to the campus tour, knowing that that rate would fall as we get more students on campus for a tour. But we knew that there was something very powerful about that experience. And so we were, we had that mini stage because that was really important for them because they knew the power of that moment. So there might be opportunities like that to build, to build that in for your stage. Another mini stage, and I'm gonna talk about this as a conversion moment um, for transfer students or non-traditional students is that transcript evaluation stage. Where does, what role does that play in your recruitment piece? You know, as I, you know, as someone who formerly ran a non-traditional student program, I know the power of that moment of that transcript evaluation. And so that was really important. So, and for us, that was before the application in most cases. So we would have inquiry, transcript evaluation, and then applicant. And so that was, we called it an actual stage, uh, but for some institutions that might be a mini stage. Yeah. That's very helpful. To, it's really under, I, I love the, I, the idea of stage because really what that stage is helping us to recognize is what's the level of information that they've received and what else do they need? Like, where's the net kind of, right. what's the trajectory? And on the, you know, as on the plus side, as a former director, I think it also helps you and your staff to have measurements of like, you know, kind of attainable goals where you're not trying to expedite everything too quickly but rather there's a, there's a, you know, kind of, a, it's a small bridge to the next stage. And, and I think that that's, that's very critical. It helps you to understand how, what progress you're making. And it's not about finding who's not doing something well, as you talk about measurement, it's right. finding the holes or the gaps. And just by tightening this up and understanding very clearly what the stages are in the sub stages. So, you know what it helps define for your team, what their next activity is. So they're not sending out boring junk standard stuff that you can really make this personalized and customized to the interests and needs of your prospects. And if you want to know how to do that, step one is knowing the stage or the substage so you know what's next. So that you know if you want to get them to a campus tour, they're starting to get engaged and see some emails. They met you at a fair somewhere. you got to get them to that tour. And if you know that that's your focus, 
then it helps direct the conversation. The conversation doesn't have to be, hey, why haven't you signed up for a tour? It can be about something else that mm-hmm. you know of, is of interest. They might be interested in your in your uh, student um, athletic club. Not Maybe it's not a sport. Maybe it's a club like rugby. Okay. Um, hey, we've got a rugby, rug, uh, rugby match coming up. Here's our schedule for the season. I want you to see what those are. Um, and if you want, you can schedule a tour while you're here. We can knock all of that out on one weekend uh, or one trip something along those lines. So you're not specifically calling out the tour. You're calling out something else that is of interest and then adding the tour into it. It doesn't always have to be that one call out. It's providing other additional information, showing that you know who they are, that you care about their interests and customizing it. Uh, and, And it's not pushing them or forcing them to that, but you're offering that so that if they engage, then they're showing you more interest uh, as well. So that's important. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Let's talk about high conversion moments. So, you know, what are the moments in your entire recruitment process that are most likely to help a student convert? Again, not converting to an enrolled student, but converting to the next stage. (laughs) You know, we, we just talked about campus tours. For traditional programs, overnight visits, if you still have those, that's a pretty high indicator that someone's really interested. And if you look at the data of who attends those versus who, which among them enrolled, that should be a high number. Mm-hmm. I don't know many students saying, hey, I want to do eight overnight visits. They might do eight, 10, 15 campus tours, but overnight visits are usually a smaller subset of that. And so those are high conversion moments. So we have to think about that. We have to build that. And I know a lot of schools focus on the overnight visits that way. They don't always think about the tours in that way. I think they, they try, but they know so many take, so many students take the tours. They don't see it that way, but the key is understanding if that is or what value that plays and highlighting the important ones, non-traditional students. I, I just talked about it. The transcript evaluation was always important for us. Uh, And how you respond to that evaluation is critically important and understanding what is the prospective student going to think about the evaluation. And this now I'm just going to pause and, and, and focus on this for just a moment, because if my team was putting together a transcript evaluation uh, and I learned this early on uh, when I was taking over the program uh, and, and for me who was doing the, a lot of evaluations myself prior to taking the program, but, if I knew I was about to deliver a transcript evaluation to prospective student, one that they would not like, yeah, I was my my approach to that message to them was weaker. I was more fearful because I knew they were going to like it. I might lose that student, and I found that all the staff felt that same thing. You know, I call that that's just the elephant in the room moment. And the more you dance around the elephant and don't address it, the more awkward it becomes. So you have to be clear about that and understand what they're going to like, what they're not going to like, and be able to address both. And I'll take uh, one of the little mini lessons one of my mentors gave to me 20-something years ago. Uh, He always liked to address things positive, negative, positive. So I'm going to deliver this transcript evaluation. Here's a good set of news. Here's the bad set of news. And wrap it up with more positive thing. Mm -hmm. And then take the student's... Uh, reaction and and pivot and and go from there. But you can't be afraid to address it. So I've got your transcript evaluation, Jamie. Uh, I know we were talking about the two and a half years you spent at this particular 
community and technical college, uh, you know, we looked at the, the evaluation. It looks like most of your credits really would come in as transfer credits. But, you know, for this particular pro, I mean, as uh, as general studies or elective credits uh, mm -hmm. and and I know that you've spent three years there at the institution, the I don't know, program you're interested in engineering only has about 25 elective credits. So a lot of your credits won't be able to transfer. Mm -hmm. And so what you're going to see here is that while your transcript at X community college says you have 72 credits, what you're going to see is that 38 of them are transferred. Now that said, we've got your electives taking care of it. And here are some other engineering courses. You've had some similar to that at your community college. And that I think is going to make these courses um, help you be much more successful in these engineering courses because they do ramp up and come pretty complex. And I've seen other students from, X community college do really well here, um, especially in these courses. So this is where you would start with your academic plan. Once we get you started, uh, I want to give you a moment to absorb uh, and let's talk again tomorrow and I can answer questions, something along those lines, but I want to script out for my team and it doesn't have to be line for line, but a general focus, how do we deliver when it's uh, negative? How do we deliver when we know it's going to be received as super positive? And if yeah. it's negative, what about it is negative? And how do I work on pivoting depending upon what the negative component is, or at least what we perceive to be negative? Yeah. And I think this also, you know, just, just to, to comment there, that also speaks to the, the, the full development of those stages that you previously talked about. Because Correct. if you have a student who has been rushed through the inquiry or the stealth applicant process and they haven't learned yes. all the value propositions, Correct. then they're going to, at that point, turn their back and walk away. And it's not going to be helpful. You're absolutely right there, Jamie. Thank you for saying that. And so, and and some of you, Jamie, you used you used a, an industry buzz term, value propositions, right? And so, and I, so I find some admissions folks don't love that the thought of of buzz terms. But at the end of the day, if we know what makes your program above the others, uh, when students are applying to multiple programs, when you look at where else they're applying, when you know what sets you apart, having that information and knowing of those things that set you apart, what is of most interest and connection to your prospects, when you know that, that also helps you with that positive, negative, positive, because that final positive will come back into play. Because then I can say, if I go back to this transcript evaluation moment, I know it's not the amount of credits you might be looking for, but because you have this associate's degree from this institution, and because your GPA is above a 3.0, you also get the scholarship that we award to transfers from that community college. And therefore, you're going to have a $2,000 per year for the next two years uh, scholarship applied to your tuition. So that's going to bring your cost down. And if you know that proposition, one of those value propositions is cost comparatively to where that other student may be considering, that might be enough to offset. Yes, you're going to take more courses with us than you will this other school, but what you're going to pay at the end will be the same. Yes. So that's how you learn to pivot. And that, but again, you've got to know that's where the stages come in place. So you know what information you've shared as you get there. The other thing I'll say about this is when you think about something like a transcript evaluation, you know, when do you want that transcript evaluation to apply? Uh, when do you want that to, to fall within your enrollment process? And when does this prospect want that to, to happen? So I have some uh, institutions say, you know, I need you to apply, then we can do a transcript evaluation. I come across many non-traditional students. They don't want to apply until they know how many credits are going to transfer. 
They're not necessarily looking for a legal document from you that says this is exactly how it's going to happen, but they want to have some general idea before they go through all the process of sending transcripts, filling out this long, complicated 225 field form, realistically, your application that they have to submit. They don't want all of that. They want to know that. Now, a traditional aged transfer student, much less concerned about that. And this is what I am seeing. But, uh, you know, I, I think understanding that, and if you're trying to push people to apply before you get to a transfer evaluation, that's kind of like flipping or pushing someone to a stage they're not ready to commit to. And while people are doing it, that doesn't mean the optimal number of people are doing it. You will be losing some students. And yeah. for some schools, they're like, that's just got to be our process. We're okay with that. But if you're not thinking that and you haven't said it has to be this way, or you want to challenge others who are saying that at your institution, challenge it. Because non-traditional students don't want necessarily to have to apply and go through all of that just to find out that the credits aren't going to transfer. Yeah. They're going to feel being pushed and sold to and all of that. And it's going to create a negative persona. And if you have to deliver negative results, it's just going to make them angrier. <laughs> it's very so, true. Very true. That's been my experience as well. Yep. The other thing I'll say about conversion moments is having that information, uh, you know, whether that's your staff making phone calls or student callers, if you have, if we're talking, and this is more likely to be a traditional population with student calls, if you have them calling your prospect, then what I want to, this is where we, we talk about this some Jamie on CRM improv, and I've talked about it with Zach, it's, is understanding what data we have that can help make and customize, make that experience more personalized or customized. Uh, and that's where collecting some general information. So if I meet a prospective student out on my fall road trip and I find out that this student might be interested in rugby, as I mentioned earlier, well, then that I might have a student organization or club sport campaign that's built so that I put in that interest. That's going to trigger that campaign. And that campaign might include as part of it, a phone call. And I would build out how I do my phone calls. It's not a phone call from a student caller. It is a phone call about sport club sports from a student caller. And I might then only assign that to one of or a few of my 20 or 30 student callers because they're the ones who can best talk about club sports. Yeah. Or I have a training program that says, okay, if you get a club sport phone call, this is what you do. A, before you call, you check what sport this person's already interested in. B, you look at the schedule of that sport and see if it's in season when you're calling. Mm-hmm. See, this is how I want you to talk about that sport and see about the interest and find out what position they play, all of that. But that's all apart, and that's triggered. If I find out during that call that they're interested in economics uh, and they're considering us because they love our economics program, then I'm going to build that campaign based off of that. That phone call is going to talk about how to determine the strength of an academic program when you're looking at other schools. And this is why I chose this particular school because of their strong academic program of my major, which just happens to be art, but our economics, da, 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 da. but that I'm going to that level. Yeah. I think so that that's, hoping, that's, that's, yep. that's, you made it that this is a critical point. And I, I think uh, what the audience now knows is that you're a closet rugby fan. Um, but at the same time, I think that can be applied to all sorts of other areas too. academics. It can apply to extracurricular student government. There's all sorts of ways that we can personalize this experience by focusing on these conversion moments and these details that we can actually get in so many ways now, you know, through tools and, and things that are out there in technology. Correct. And it's just that one or two lines that you might get from that student. 
and writing it down in your notepad so that when you finish that event, you go market in the CRM. And that just sets everything else up in motion. A, it shows you the simplicity from the recruitment side of it. Now, there's more complexity in building it all to get it all set up. But then the simplicity of marking it and then just letting the system take over and automate these things for you. Yeah. That, you know, from a CRM project perspective, Jamie, that's where we talk. That's, that's, I don't know, that's close to 301 level um, because of the amount of effort it might take to build those various campaigns is significant. Sure. Uh, and the way to stagger up that I've got a sport club campaign, that I've got an academic program campaign that then might be dynamic based upon the program of which they are interested. You know, those those types of initiatives. But those are those are important and those are also impactful. Those are conversion moments. For sure. So then the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, how do we determine who am I working as a recruitment person today or this week? And to me, it's it's important that we, as we think about this and focus on it, that we keep balance. And obviously, as I make a decision for myself as a recruitment person, it's going to depend upon my audience. Am I looking at uh, non-traditional students? Am I looking at traditional students or online students? Who is it I'm looking at? Because those enrollment cycles differ. Because if I'm looking at traditional students, and today is June, what is it, 20, 23rd when we're recording this. So um, it's the 23rd. So if I'm looking at today and what I'm doing if I'm recruiting traditional students is different than if I'm a non-traditional student, student recruitment person. Because my enrollment cycle as a traditional person is has been building since October. For right. a non-traditional person, many times it might be an eight-week recruitment cycle or less. And so therefore, where I am will matter. But I want, this is what I mean by balance, is that while I'm going to focus most of my time as a traditional recruitment person now on those deposits and ensuring that we don't lose melt, mm-hmm. I also want to know that, hey, the semester or the year academic year has ended. My juniors are becoming seniors, uh, and I'm going to get to see them for the first time maybe ever in the fall. How do I begin building those relationships, preparing them for that, letting them know that I do know who they are and that I want to see them when I'm on campus? Spending a little time there balances balances that work and ensures that you're building up the pipeline for next year as well. We do not want to forget them, that next year's pipeline completely. Sure. And, And I think that's another important piece because one of the things we learned through the pandemic was how fragile our pipelines can be. When something happens that prevents us from visiting schools for 12 months or more, it required us to do other things to fill the pipeline with the number of inquiries we normally would be getting when we're out visiting schools. Because we don't just see seniors when we're in the fall. We're looking at some seniors. We're also talking to juniors. We may also be talking to sophomores. Well, I didn't get any of those names this past year because I wasn't out visiting schools in the fall. Or if I did get names, it's probably a small fraction of what I had. And, and so folks above me, if I'm the recruit person, folks above me have gone to supplement that effort by buying names. Those names that we bought do not have the same level of interest as those we met in the past. So we have to treat them differently. So I want to ensure from my recruitment perspective that I am continuing to cultivate that pipeline. So if it was a purchase name, if it was a name that someone um, said, hey, here's my information um, from a virtual event, then I want to cultivate them to let them know when I see them next year, it'll be personalized and that I want to meet them and keep building them. From a non-traditional perspective, 
I might be working at this is might be week two of my eight week cycle. And so I'm working those folks to think about that application stage because if it's eight weeks and they're an inquiry now, I need them to be an applicant within the next week or this eight week cycle isn't going to work for them. And so I'm thinking about that. But I also have to be thinking about how many people are coming in for the next eight week cycle and how do I work them from stage to stage and breaking them apart. So I want to be sure we're looking at them uh, based upon our enrollment cycle. Yeah. The other thing I will throw out there is I'm prioritizing my group uh, because, again, traditional students, are, if I'm focused on traditional students, this is deposit time, melt time. We've got to make sure we're not losing students. Uh, and, and I know that that's where the bulk and majority of my time will be. And so I don't mean everything's going to be a 50-50 balance. I just mean we can't completely forget the next enrollment cycle behind us. Don't want to lose fact, uh, sight of that because sometimes I see folks doing that and then they have to go in recovery mode right after the fall starts. Let's not do that or try to minimize that as best we can. Uh, but the one way I go about looking at it, whether it's for myself or for my team, is you know I color code my calendar. And I think I've shared this before with folks, but I color code my calendar based on the type of activity it is. So if I'm spending time um, with my team talking about one of our clients versus spending time directly with clients on calls versus, versus spending time with team talking about other components of work and services that we do, um, or even talking to a prospective client. Uh, or recording a podcast like this, I color code those activities differently so that at the end of the week, I can, by color, tell and break down how I spent my time hmm. so that I know I'm spending the right amount of time. If I, you know, if, if for whatever reason, if we need to have about 20 active clients and we're down to like seven, then I know I need to be focused more on business development. And so I can look at the end of this week, how much time did I spend on business development? You only spent 15% of your time. That's not good. I need to be spending 25% of my time or 40% of my time. And I can adjust to ensure that next week I make up for that that way. And it helps me understand because one of the things I hear from folks all the time, I don't have enough time to do that. <laughs> it's valid. Yes. If I look and only spent 15%, it's not like I had more time to put. I, I still worked 40, yeah. 50 or 60 hours some weeks. But if I go back and reflect, I can say, well, what was it I was doing with my time? Yeah, because then we can say the balance is off. You spent all of this time with with, I don't know, staff talking about other initiatives. Well, that's good. We need to do that. But that doesn't need to be 35 percent of my time. Right. I need that right now to be about 10 percent of my time. So I can take that 20, add that to whatever else I want to need it to, let's say prospective clients. Then, boom, now I'm back up to where I should have been all along. And it's just seeing that for myself and the color coding is the easiest visual way to do it without saying, well, how did I spend my time? The calendar tells you, and then I can look to see by those color code. And it's just very simple, simple way to know that I'm doing what I need to do. I've done that with my teams in the past. I've done that when I've had to step in at other institutions to help run an enrollment team for a period of time. That's one of the first things I do is let's look at how you're spending your time. Yeah. And I think not this, saying it's wrong. Let's just be sure we're balancing it based on what we are going to be doing. Yeah. This time of the year, too, when we're thinking about multiple cohorts, you know, the managing of melt and the introduction of new leads, and especially this year with the absence of, you know, visits on campus or open houses in the spring or what have you. I mean, it's very important to make sure that there's this adequate balance of, of all of those kind of bodies of, uh, of audience that you have to just manage and make sure that you're paying the right amount of attention to. I think those are, those are good words, Mickey. 
Yes. And it's because, again, I, I get the question with that. Well, how do I, I've got to work with this group. I've got to work with this group. How do I handle it all? Well, by not saying each group has 100% of your time. Yeah. So my melt efforts need to be about 65% of my time right now. And that leaves 35% of my time. Well, I've got to help uh, staff the call center for eight hours. Okay. That's 20% of your time. 20 plus 65, that's 85% of your time. The balance of that 15% is what? Let's work on next year's class. That means roughly six hours of time. So when when do I have those six hours? Let's be sure I have that noted in the calendar so I know when to get it done. Because if you've done zero and it's Friday, (laughs) you're in trouble. Right? And so let's be sure that we're kind of progressing. Or Friday comes around, I've got four hours already done. Then I know I only need two hours for that Friday. And that helps you think through. And then when you say I've got six hours to focus on the next class, then what do I do with the six hours? And that's where that scripting comes into play. That's Mm -hmm. where knowing those stages comes into play because then that helps direct how you're communicating with various folks. And then you can also look at, well, okay, I've got 5,000 people in a pipeline assigned to me for next year's class. How do I know which ones? Well, let's pick priority. What should folks be doing? Let's focus on folks that have just finished their junior year going into a senior year. Ah, campus tours. Have you been to campus? What if I take my rising seniors that have not been to campus and I focus on trying to find time to get them to campus? Yep. I can tell that your, your passion about the pipeline, Mickey, your passion is, is, is heard in your voice. If it, if you, it only takes, usually, I, I've gone into scenarios where uh, we've had a va- long time vacancy from an enrollment leader and everybody's kind of off doing their own thing. They're working. It's not that they're not working, but it's not the right focus work. Sure. Uh, and okay, cause, and, and we just tweak a few things. And the next thing you know, the engine's running smoothly again, humming along, numbers are bouncing back. It happens. It's not rocket science, but it's knowing these fine details and then just ensuring the focus and the direction is there. Mm-hmm. Things can really turn around rapidly. So, and that's it. That's all that's I have. That's amazing. That was great stuff. Uh, I don't have any questions based on what you share. Well, well, thank you for listening, Jamie. Hopefully that, that will help you and help all the listeners. Uh, I, again, Find us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn. Drop us notes, ask us questions, uh, and we're happy to answer them. Jamie, thank you for carving time out of your busy day to join us. Absolutely. Uh, And Zach, wherever you are, uh, we know you're out somewhere. Uh, Hopefully, you'll have questions for me next week when we uh, get back together. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, until next week, thank you again for listening. Hey friends, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. If you have an idea for a topic you think we should cover on this show or riff on, please feel free to reach out directly to me at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org, and I will bring it up with Mickey, and we will chat about it on an upcoming episode. So again, that's Zach, Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org, and reach out if you have questions, comments, thoughts, ideas for things that we should be talking about. All right, guys, take care, and we'll see you next week.